Deep drive right field. This is going to soar, but will it be fair? Marvin Gonzalez has hit a grand slam. Started from the bottom, now we're here. Started from the bottom, now my whole team. Yeah, started from the bottom, now we're here. Started from the bottom, now the whole team hit. You're listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Staten, Kevin Cook, and Jeremy Paxton. It's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. Welcome to episode 92 of The Weekly Brew Podcast. My name is Austin Staten, and I'm joined this week in studio by Kevin Cook. And as you heard from the introduction, Bill Brown was on the call for the Houston Astros this week as uh, one of our former guests, Todd Callis, his mom passed away. So thoughts and prayers to the Callis family. But uh, Kevin, it was great to hear Bill Brown on the call as the Astros took three of four from the Texas Rangers. And as you heard by the home run call, Marwin Gonzalez had one hell of a series, homering in five straight games. In fact, he became the first baseball player in the modern era to homer in four straight games four different starts at four different positions wow that is really really arcane um I, I, it's <laughs> terrific no it's great i, I I'm, I'm proud for him um but that is just if you read it out slowly kind of piece by piece there it just shows you how crazy people are about these stats but but credit to was that elias that came up with that i think of course yeah. elias comes up with every baseball stat i you know i, I intend to get in touch with them and try to get a guest from that organization because i love the work that they do and it's really fascinating yeah, to the me research and the mm-hmm. speed in which they can turn around ridiculous stats and it's not just baseball it's basketball it's hockey it's every sports and they it just wouldn't do a surprise job. me if there were some sort of harry potter like crystal ball equipment that they use because I, I just don't see how uh, a team of human beings with nothing but computers and data <laughs> I could do what they do, but it's really amazing. But yeah, but I don't, I mean, I don't, that doesn't impress me that much because I look at it and I go, that's pretty weird. You know, that's kind of a, an odd <laughs> stat. But, but, but obviously, uh, Astro's doing very well and, and nice to hear Bill Brown, although the circumstances were uh, less than ideal, certainly. Both those guys have been on our show before. Actually, you know, Bill Brown kind of spoke to his career after he retired when he was here on the show with us. I can't remember what episode. You can go look at it. And then, uh, and then we interviewed Callis when he came in as well. Both terrific guys, both interesting careers, interesting interviews. So yeah, I'd go back and listen to that. Absolutely. And of course, Bill Brown had mentioned that he was going to be, you know, stepping in occasionally for, relief and he did pinch it uh, this week but uh, Kevin we have a hell of an episode on deck for you we've got uh, Wade Phillips uh, former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys defensive coordinator for the Houston Texans uh, Super Bowl winning defensive coordinator for the Broncos interim head coach for the Texans exactly also uh, he's the current defensive coordinator for the Los Angeles Rams also the author of a new book out this past Tuesday it's called Son of Bum Lessons My Dad Taught Me About Football and Life and it's co-written by uh, Vic Carucci who helped us get the interview yeah a terrific guy and and uh, he had um, you know, co-writing. Obviously, there's a lot of uh, collaboration and work that goes in there. I think both of them uh, did a terrific job. I see you holding it in your hand there. We'll probably tweet out a picture to the listeners. Uh, I, I guess you bought a copy, huh? I did buy a copy, and I read it uh, front to back and I don't know, just over a night. I mean, it was it was a pretty good read. I, it, was, I, it was it was it was it was it was not too long. I think it was about 200 pages, but uh, it, I don't think it was that long. It was just I don't know. It was great because you could just picture Wade's voice just reading it to you. Yeah, and it, they did a terrific job of. Uh, of it, it's not. It's not like Harvard language, I guess you could say. You know, it's not. It's not really uh, difficult syntax or whatever. But it's incredibly impactful because he's had a fascinating life. His relationship with his father is incredible too. You know, I, I've not always had the greatest relationship with my father. I love him. I think he loves me as well. But but it's it's poignant. I think to to look at the relationship Bum Phillips had with Wade Phillips and, and how much he gleaned from that and learned from it, and how much it impacted his character and development. And in turn, you got a guy who's been in the league for forty years. He's that, impacted a host of people, and so and a pivotal figure in the NFL as well. I think the book's really interesting. I would recommend all the readers go out and buy it. I told him, and I'll tell the listeners, I hope he sells 100 million copies because it's just exactly the right kind of book with the right kind of message, and I loved it. 
Yeah, and if you want to buy it, just check it out on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, wherever, I guess, books are sold now. I don't even know. But <laughs> yeah. uh, Where did we get it? Yeah, I, I purchased a book off of Amazon, yeah. and it arrived uh, on May 2nd, which is the day the book actually came out. But We don't always buy right. the stuff of the people no, that come on. That's how much either. we felt about this. <laughs> but uh, Wade Phillips will join us here in uh, just a few moments. We have about a 25-minute conversation with him on his book, his life, uh, and also what's going on with the uh, the Rams. We, we throw in a, a J.J. Watt question as well. But uh, to me, Sexiest what the, man in sports. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, one of the things that's interesting to me is Sean McVay, the current head coach for the LA Rams, he's 31 years old. Yeah. Wade Phillips has been coaching in the NFL for a decade longer than McVay has been alive. <laughs> yeah. And and so I think that's got to be encouraging if you're a Rams fan to know that somebody with Wade's credentials is taking your team hopefully to the next level by improving the defense this year. Absolutely. I always think that, that young head coach thing is interesting. Tom Herman's a fairly young head coach. I happen to, through my coverage, know some of the like – Sam Parker was out at spring, 29 years old was when he was hired. Of course, his father, Dennis Parker, uh, kind of a legendary Texas high school coach, wrote Coaching to Change Lives. But, uh, yeah, it, it's an interesting vibe when you get a young guy in there. It seems to be that athletic directors and, and, and team owners and people like that are kind of realizing there's some value and benefit to the energy and vigor of youth. I think you hope that that outweighs the lack of experience. But I always kind of want to see a guy that young – in that position, Eric Lane is a coach out at uh, Langham Creek uh, Soccer. His son is 22 years old and the coach of a like a collegiate program, a head coach of a collegiate. That's program. crazy. Years, you know what I was doing at 22 years old? Like, I I, I don't want to guess. <laughs> but there are there I think there is something special about that. And when you talk about McVeigh, I look at that and I go, okay, somebody saw something in this guy because you're taking a shot at a guy that young. And, and it know, doesn't always work out. I mean, you look at Lane Kiffin with sure. the uh, the Raiders back in the day. You look at uh, uh, Tyler Summit, that former head basketball coach yeah. at Louisiana Tech. Oh, I mean, he mercy. was 23, 24 when he was hired. Yeah. Ended up impregnating a, uh, a student athlete. Now, I don't think McVeigh is going to do that for the Rams. But, <laughs> but just to look at what he's done uh, you know, in the past few years with the Washington Redskins, uh, he's done a hell of a job. Do we say that? I, I do. Oh, uh, that's, I have, that's the name. Let's well, not get into that. How about the but, Washington but, professional football team? Okay, the Washington football team, whatever you want to call it. But he he's done a hell of a job coordinating that offense and taking Kirk Cousins to the next level. I mean, even even though Kirk Cousins hasn't got that long-term extension that he really, really wants, yeah. he's still getting paid, what, $22, 23000000 million this year because of franchise tag. And I, I, I don't know. I, I think that Wade's going to do a hell of a job improving that defense. But he never hasn't. That's the thing. If you no, look everywhere he goes, he improves that defense. And the Texans, it's always he moved radical. Like, yeah, he moved the Texans from the bottom of the league to top seven for three straight years. It was, I think, in the year before versus the year after, it was like uh, 31st in right, defensive rating. Right. And then they were like fourth, I think, in the next year. It's crazy what he does. And it's fairly simple. He actually gets into it in the book as well, talking about the 3 4 defense and right. what that means. But and I, I think Coach Phillips is going to do a great job with that defense. He's got a lot of talent there. Of course, Aaron Donald at defensive tackle. Uh, the key to me for the Rams and McVay is to see what they can do with Jared Goff. Jared Goff, number one overall pick last year, struggled a lot last season. Part of that might have been the system. Part of that might have been you know th- being thrown into the fire when he wasn't ready. Who knows? We'll see what McVay can do. He did a great job with Cousins. Let's see if he can continue that trend with Goff. In terms of a tie-in to Houston, I, a lot of people talked about what it felt like to have Gary Kubiak um, end his career the way he did here. Kind of a scary, weird, you know, health sort of thing. And obviously not as much success as you would have hoped given the, uh, the talent he had. And then to go and win a championship in Denver, I think a lot of people were bitter or, or, or at least not happy about it. I was. And on the other hand, for Wade Phillips, 
I couldn't be more happy for the guys. I don't know if that speaks to maybe his history with the city of Houston, obviously a part of the Oilers coaching staff with his father, Bum Phillips, uh, many, many years ago. Not many years ago, but not recently. And and sort of tied into that he was a University of Houston graduate as well. So I think that I feel that way. I think other people feel that way that I know as well, that, that really we're happy to see Wade Phillips get that ring. Kubiak uh, maybe rubbed us the wrong way a little bit. Yeah, I, I think it was kind of unfortunate what happened with uh, the Texans during that time period. But I think everyone was really encouraged by Wade Phillips. It seemed like he got a raw deal in Dallas being yeah. fired after what going 31 and 22 which puts him as he mentions in the book as like just a tick behind Tom Landry for right. the all-time winningest no, no, no. coach ahead. or tick ahead yeah, yeah. well by, by winning percentage by winning percentage ahead. and of course Landry had a very very rough start when he first right. was That's brought on big but, reason why yeah. but uh, yeah I think everyone was really encouraged by that and toward the end of the book uh, coach Phillips actually mentions sending out a tweet after the game, you know, saying that I'm now a Super Bowl champion and it had over a million retweets yeah. in a day. I mean, that's the kind of popularity and the kind of love that fans of football within the state of Texas have for Wade Phillips. And we are hoping real hard for a Wade Phillips retweet ourselves. Yeah, we would <laughs> so love we the a million like retweets. That would, that would just be great. I mean, we, we have like, what, 10,000 listeners this past <laughs> week. I think a million would go a long way. Yeah, it was, it was uh, it broke 10 and a half. So, uh, you know, about 500 new guys. So hello to the new folks. If you're just now tuning into us, all the episodes are freaking gold so go back and listen to all of them yeah there, there are some that aren't quite there gold, are some that aren't gold. they'll go back them. further than like 12 i think that, that that's just like the yeah. dark or medieval just, times just start with the past month where yeah, okay. we've got jeff van gundy we've got listen to him backwards there you go yeah we've, we've got phenomenal guests so that's what we do at the weekly brew podcast and we're actually uh going to have another uh, guest join us here in studio after the wade phillips interview and that is going to be luke bronner who is the host of the h podcast and uh, we cover everything when it comes to sports and social issues, and we try to cover social issues, but nah. it's it's mostly sports. I, I, mean, tr- I try to get us to not do it, but you always drag us <laughs> but, into it. But, okay, sports, that's our thing. We are the voice of Houston, but if you want to know the inside part of Houston, if you want to know what makes the city tick, that's where Luke comes in. And I would say the premise of his show is interesting. He's very open about the fact that he's a transplant, like a lot of people in this city are. Oil and gas and the fact it's a port city, there's a lot of reasons to contribute to it. It's one of the most diverse cities in the world, and a lot of people aren't from here. So it's an interesting perspective to kind of come from the outside. He, he initially thought he would hate Houston and then ended up loving it, and for a lot of interesting reasons. So And, and he, he tackled some fun stuff, talks to a tattoo artist that uh, and I now follow on Twitter and so forth and I'm a fan of, and then and then gets really happy. Uh, in the most recent episode as we're recording this, which was dealing with human trafficking, and I thought that he did, I mean, like award-winning level job covering a weighty issue that is more uh, of a problem here than I ever would have suspected. So, I mean, if, if you're in Houston or you know anybody in Houston, you should be listening to the H podcast because they're uh, they're tackling good stuff, and we'll talk to them about that in a minute. Yeah, so we're looking forward to having Luke here in studio, and again, it's the H podcast. So if you don't already subscribe, we highly recommend that you do. But uh, Kevin, one other big announcement that we want to make this week, and uh, we have a new sponsor. Yes, we do. And I, I couldn't be more proud of this new sponsor. Uh, you might have heard uh, this sponsor making headlines this past week, and uh, you know we were able to get in on the ground floor and honestly when i saw you walk into the studio this morning uh, to prepare for episode 92 of the podcast I noticed that you look like a big baller. Yeah, 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 yeah. I did. I did look like a big baller. And, and the reason that that is is because the shoes were free as part of the sponsorship deal. And, and so I thought, why not get value? I went with the size 14s. Of course, I'm a size nine and a half. So, it, I mean, big balling just only begins to describe how I look with these shoes on. Absolutely. So if you if you couldn't catch the hint, Big Baller Brands is our new sponsor here on the podcast. And that's, of course, LeVar Ball's new basketball brand, of course. Nike turned them down. Adidas turned them down. Under Armour turned them down. Reebok turned them down. I think Puma, but I'm going to stop you right there. They didn't turn him down. They missed out on an opportunity. B3 is what's next in the world of sports, merchandising, and gear. 
We're required to say that. We are required shoes. to say. I mean, we're reading straight from script <laughs> from this live read, but I couldn't be more thrilled with Big Baller Brands. I mean, I because love having. You know what, it I love having about us. It does. It shows that we are boastful. It yeah. shows that we are loud. Mm-hmm. It shows that we do have a voice, and that some people like us, some people don't. And more than a voice, we have big balls. Absolutely. That's what and it means, In right? order to be a competitor, whether it's on the gridiron, whether it's on the basketball court, or in the podcast world, you have to have balls. Yeah, absolutely. I'm trying, who was it that was famous for... Was it a wizard? They may have been a Bullets back then for the uh, the big balls dance. Really? <laughs> I do remember that. That is a natural partnership. I'm going to talk to LeVar first thing when we wrap this up here. I'm going to suggest that to him. Uh, thanks for the shoes, buddy. We appreciate it. Uh, our ball, all, ball, all balls? Uh, yeah, All sure. balls, all the time. That's the new tagline. Exactly. And so you can get the ZO2 shoes, which uh, are Lonzo Ball's new shoes, uh, for just four easy payments of $99.95. Or if you have a size 14 or above, uh, six easy payments of $99.95. So thanks to Big Baller Brands uh, for being our new sponsor here Why? on the Cooper Podcast. Why would you wear any other shoe? Because I want a ball. Exactly right. Sound so, a ball. Big balls. Big Baller Brands. Balls. All right, so I'm pretty stoked about the new sponsor. Yeah, glad to have him for sure. Yeah, so, I mean, not only is this episode, we're bringing you Wade Phillips, Luke Bronner, but we also, you know, big baller brands. And I, I, I just could, I don't know, I just feel like a different person wearing these shoes. And we've got shoes to give away, too. So if you are the 10,000th person to follow us on Twitter, then you will get uh, a free uh, $600 pair of shoes. Don't miss out, folks. <laughs> and, and, and I think that we don't have any lawyers involved in this, but I can lie to people, right? There's no law against that. No, of course not. Okay, we're fine. Then. Yeah, uh, <laughs> shoes, 10,000 people. Go follow us on Twitter at Weekly Brewcast. Yeah, so make sure to follow our social media pages, Weekly Brewcast, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Also check out weeklybrewcast.com. But uh, Kevin, before we actually get into the Wade Phillips interview, uh, I, I want to jump into a story that you wrote uh, this week that's out now on uh, cron.com. And uh, that's regarding uh, new legislation here in the state of Texas, uh, essentially bringing in a Tim Tebow bill that would uh, allow homeschool student athletes to participate in UIL sports. And uh, you've obviously spent numerous hours covering the story this week. Uh, just go ahead and give the listeners about why this is important. Well, the most important thing about this is that team, Tim Tebow is on my list. I mean, if you talk about the 10 sexiest men in sports, he's uh, J.J. Watt. They're in the same echelon, I think. J.J. Watt being a little I, I see your type. Similar builds. <laughs> yeah, real meathead block type people. Um, it's just, you know, something about it just gets me going. But yeah, Tim Tebow, not maybe people know this, maybe they don't. He was in Florida, obviously. Florida passed similar legislation to this bill, which is HB 1323 and SB 640. Um, but it, it basically allows for homeschool students to compete in their states. You know, for us, it's UIL. Uh, other states have their, their organizations or whatever. He actually competed. I can't remember the first high school he went to, but they made him a tight end. And so he kind of, I guess, got upset and switched to Nice, where they let wait, him be a quarterback. Isn't that kind of funny that at a high school yes. level, they realized that he had a terrible throwing yes. motion and wanted him to be at a tight end. <laughs> and he didn't accept that, moved to a different high school, went to Florida, obviously won a Heisman Trophy, national championship. Well, the, then when he got to the NFL. He won a state title, too. The school he yeah. went to, Nice, was, uh, was a struggling program, and that enabled him to become a quarterback. And then he actually led them to a state title. That's so he has, a, he has a, a dating back to when he was a junior in high school, has almost, I can see why he thinks God loves him, right? Because it is almost impossible to be as bad as he is and have as good of an impact as he's had on as many different teams as he had. It is, he, he really is, in a sense, blessed, I yeah, think. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to jump in real quick. Uh, Tim Rohan, who... Uh, 
writes for Monday Morning Quarterback and Sports Illustrated. He had a great piece this week on Tim Tebow as a baseball player. So go ahead and check that out. It's on uh, Monday Morning Quarterback. I think but we weren't done telling him to check out my piece, though. No, no, no. I'm, <laughs> I'm just saying it, it, it's a very fascinating piece specifically on <laughs> Tebow's baseball career. But let's go back to Tebow and the homeschool bill. Well, it's very contentious. I'm actually um, kind of in a perverse way enjoying some of the back and forth. There are organizations like the Texas High School Coaches Association, D.W. Rutledge, the head of that, I talked to him. Uh, there's the Texas Girls Coaches Association, Sam Tipton. And they're saying things like, this will be the death of competitive high school prep sports. Uh, I, I know, it seems it seems hyperbolic, but think about what homeschoolers are able to do, right? Public school kids have to pass all their classes, stay eligible. They have to attend school, actually be in the building when they're taking attendance. They can only practice for eight hours a week outside of their athletic periods. I mean, homeschool don't have any of those requirements. They can practice as much as they want, as long as they want, with whomever they want, and they don't have to show up anywhere or pass classes. Okay, so they can't, if they're going to be playing with a team, they're still going to have to go through the team practices, which, you know, if they want to practice longer, that has to be through a private coach, which is no different than any other person in UIL. Like, if you look at the Woodlands High School, for example, a school that we came from, uh, there's a lot of disposable income. Uh, Parents that want to give their kids specialized uh, coaching, whether it's a golf coach or whether it's pitching coach, hitting instructor, they're going to pay for that extra training outside of class. And so I, I don't know what's different. And, and I, honestly, how many high school, I'm sorry, how many homeschooled kids do you know that like blow off school? Because I, I think typically the homeschool. No, and here's, here's the thing. And actually, um, uh, I, I can't forget Taylor, uh, Larry Taylor is the name of the, is that Senate, uh, Texas state Senate. And he's the head of the public education committee. I think is the name of it or, Senate Committee on Education. But what he said, and it was a little bit incendiary, but I kind of understand it. He said, listen, there's a situation where you could have a top-shelf varsity athlete at a public school who's getting D1 offers and looks and things like that, and he might be at a point where, oh, my God, in two or three days, the six weeks, I'm going to be ineligible. They're not going to let me play. I can immediately disenroll. I can become a homeschool student. All of a sudden, I don't have eligibility requirements. I'm still practicing with the same team. I'm still doing everything I was doing. I just now am no longer required to do all these things that public school students do. So I see. I totally get it. I was homeschooled when I was younger. I can, I can see both sides of it, but I do think that it is probably a bad measure that will have a harmful impact, at least as constructive. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Uh, of course, one prominent uh, homeschooler here in the past few years has been uh, Justin Jackson, who, of course, led North Carolina uh, to a, a nice run in the NCAA tournament this year. Is going to probably be a lottery pick in the NBA draft, but he played for a, uh, a homeschool league here in Houston called HCYA, and so I, I don't know. This is something, of course... Shout Kevin, out to Edie from uh, HCYA. Yeah, She's a great so this has been person. something, uh, as Kevin mentioned, in his article uh, has been brought up in the legislative sessions in 2013 2015 so we'll see if it gets passed but i think it's something worth following especially well, for those that are interested in athletics here in the state it'll happen i think thursday is when they're going to talk about it. it's already passed through the senate it is passed through committee in the house it's pending right now so at any point they can call it up for a vote something could happen so there's a lot of chatter back and forth uh, it's, it's interesting to watch keep an eye on it because it could have an enormous impact Absolutely. So uh, follow K. Michael Cook on Twitter to get the latest on that legislation. Also, go ahead and head over to cron.com or his Twitter page to uh, read the article. But uh, I'll link you to anything on Cron that you need to see. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but we've got a, a great show on deck. Uh, we're about to hop into this interview with Wade Phillips, current defensive coordinator for the L.A. Rams, whose new book, Son of Bum, is out this past week. And of course, Luke Bronner will join us in studio in about 25 minutes. So without further ado, we've got a packed show on deck. So it's time to sit back, relax and be informed. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. Joining us now on The Weekly Brew podcast is LA Rams defensive coordinator Wade Phillips, who has spent more than 40 years coaching at the NFL level and just released his memoir entitled Son of Bum, Lessons My Dad Taught Me About Football and Life on May 2nd. And uh, Coach, uh, both myself and Kevin have been uh, huge fans of the book. Uh, We picked it up on Tuesday and uh, knocked it out this week. And I just have to say congratulations on uh, releasing the new book. Well, thanks. Yeah, that's... uh... 
been working on it for about a year and a half, and uh, hopefully it came out well. Well, I, I certainly think it did come out well, and it's it's an economical style, I think, that really, I mean, it's hilarious at points, poignant at points. I'm a guy who did not have a great relationship with his father growing up, and, and the way that you described your relationship with your father, of course, legendary coach Bum Phillips, uh, was, was really touching, and, and uh, I was moved you know, to, to tears at various points, and I think other people will probably have that same kind of reaction to it as well. So let's let's start... Um, I guess with with your father, you know that the book is it's your book, your memoirs, but largely, um, I think a story of your relationship with your father, how he impacted you, how he impacted the people around him, and and sort of uh, you know what made him valuable or special. Uh, looking back, do you think you know in terms of why we did in the book there, uh, what were you trying to communicate most about your father? Because a lot of stuff came through there, but I think what I got most from it was that you know really no matter whether you're coaching, playing, uh, doing something entirely different, it is always about other people. It's about doing for other people. It's about being invested in other people. Is that, is that a fair way to sum up? I guess your father's legacy. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's 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 being able to work with other people. You know, uh, you know, uh, some people like feel like they're the boss or the father or whatever all the time. But, uh, you know, he, he wasn't that way. He was, uh, he, you know, he treated, treated well, everybody uh, uh, really well. But uh, I just learned so much from him, from all the things that he taught me uh, about football and life. And then, like you said, it was, I mean, Texas is football <laughs> and football is Texas. So I think, uh, you know, that. I'm sure that came across in the book. Kind of one of the things that stuck out to me is you had mentioned uh, that your father was a coach that developed relationships, uh, that he was one that cared about his players and that, you know, almost developed those friendships. And I think to have such a long career like he did and also uh, to see the career that you've had that spanned over 40 years in the NFL, uh, relationships have to be key. Uh, How important is it for, uh, I guess, you to take on that legacy from your father and develop those relationships and those friendships? And how has that helped you as a, a coach in the NFL? Well, you're, you know, in the NFL, you're, you're working with grown men. So, I mean, it's, it's not like you're, uh, you know, like, like high school or, or, or college where you, you're kind of guiding them along. They, they're already grown. So, um, so relationships are important because these are grown men. You're working with people, like I said, and even though, uh, and, you know, you're the coach, you, you know, you still, and I always believe in, you know, explaining, you know, why we're doing things, uh, not just, hey, you do it because I say so. And, and that's the way my dad was. I, I kind of learned that from him. I mean, we, uh, I always try to explain, hey, we're doing this this way because this is good for the team or this is good for you, uh, those kind of things. And, and, and uh, that's, that's helped me throughout my career for sure. What are the points that you touched on in talking about um, life in the NFL, kind of the differences between earlier eras and this one? You mentioned you can't be that guy anymore in the NFL. Speaking about your father, kind of the colorful character that he was, the 10-gallon hats, the boots, and so forth and so on. Uh, you also mentioned you know, Lance Van Zandt at one point, uh, nine, nine on nine, something, uh, yeah. shit on a frozen <laughs> line, you know, crazy stuff like that. Yeah. Why, why is it that, that colorful people aren't, at the head of uh, NFL programs or NFL teams anymore, and where have they gone? I mean, because that used to be there used to be a lot of figures like that, and it feels like in today it's a little more whitewashed. You don't see that as much anymore. Yeah, it's it's, it's a lot more corporate, certainly. Uh, and uh, yeah, like I said in the book, I mean, you know, nobody wear nobody can wear a uh, cowboy hat on the sideline anymore unless it has a scrunch on it. So I mean, it's uh, <laughs> it, you know, so. Uh, I still think we have some characters, but I think it's just 
harder to come out because, uh, you know, the, the league expect, expects you to do certain things, certain ways. The, the team, uh, you know, the same thing with, with teams as far as their image and so forth. And so um, I think it's kind of tightened down on, on uh, character, so to speak. Kind of on a separate note, you had mentioned uh, in, in, during your time with the Oilers that uh, coaching was a lot different, that players weren't necessarily coached on, you know, the simple things like tackling or technique. And uh, now it seems that, you know, it, it's, it is more of a business. So there is focus on that, on developing players, developing prospects. When did you start to see that, I guess, mindset shift in the NFL from, uh, you know, expecting that the players knew what they were doing to ensuring that they knew what they were doing? Uh, I think as we went along, um, of course, I think you've got more and more college influence, you know, uh, coaches that have been in college uh, uh, and been successful in college. And then they got in because before it was mostly just pro football guys were coaching pro football players, you know, and that's the way they'd always done it. Uh, Now, coaching changed over the years anyway, and it's continually changing. But uh, I think part of it was that that went on uh, when I first started coaching was, hey, you know, just let them play. And then uh, college influence, the uh, Jimmy Johnson, some people that came in uh, from college were successful in college and carried those teaching techniques basically over to, over to pro, pro football. So you are uh, linked in a lot of ways to Houston. You actually went to the University of Houston. I graduated from there as well, so I, I appreciate that connection. But uh, but it, the Oilers, the Love You Blue era was um, a little bit before my time, but I've absorbed a lot of that just kind of from reading and hearing about it. There were some things I didn't know. Like you mentioned after, um, I think it was a playoff loss, you guys came back to the Astrodome three hours late, and it was packed with 50,000 screaming, cheering fans who were just there to appreciate you guys, even though you had lost uh, the game that you played in. It seems like the Oilers were really part of the fabric of of the city in a way that the Texans certainly aren't. And they're an expansion team, of course. There are things that come with that. But do you see that being a possibility for the Texans at some point to have the kind of impact and the kind of, um, I guess, uh, emotional weight that the Oilers once had in this city? Oh, I think so. I mean, you know, it's you know, it's all certainly based on winning and and so forth. And we, we were, you know, certainly had some great teams there. The, the times were different in that the Oilers have been losing for a long time. Uh, you know, and then, uh, uh, well, and if, if for instance, in the airport and so so forth. I mean, there wasn't all security, so when we came in from a, from a trip, a road game, people were lined up in the airport and and standing in the halls when we came came in to cheer us on. And, uh, you know, they can't they can't do that these days. So uh, <laughs> it was just, uh, and like I said, the the Astrodome was kind of the culmination of, of all that feeling but uh but it, uh yeah people you know people uh, i think the more you win obviously the the, the more fans you get more more uh, that it's going to be uh, exciting for the fans and so forth they're going to jump on the bandwagon but uh, but the orders have been terrible for a long time and, that, and you know texans are starting to build a you know a good football franchise and whether it get that frenzy or not I don't know but uh, but winning winning takes care of that for sure <laughs> I thought it was interesting talking about that era you did speak to uh, you know your relationship with Bud Adams obviously you know there's 
contention. I think in a 2012 Chronicle poll, he was voted the most hated sports figure in Houston history, and there's kind of a weird relationship here. You said that there's no hard feelings at this point uh, for you guys, even even after you know he took the team from Houston, fired your father. I mean, there was a whole uh, thing. How, how do you... I don't know. I, I have hard feelings on your behalf, even just reading <laughs> about it. How, how do you get to that point where, you, where you're where you past it? Yeah, well, I said it. My dad said it. You know, there's two kinds of coaches. You know, ones that have been fired and ones that are going to be fired. So uh, it's just the nature <laughs> of the business. And, then, and that's when I learned that, you know, because I had never been fired. I, you know, I thought I was a heck of a coach. And, you know, we lost two AFC championship games to Pittsburgh and won the Super Bowl. Then we lost to Oakland who won the Super Bowl. And we got fired for New Year's Eve, you know. And I said, well, gosh, I thought I was doing a good job and I thought I was a good coach. And, uh, it, it, you know, those things happen in, in this league. You know, it's it's uh, expectations sometimes become so much that uh, the disappointment, uh, coaches get fired. So, uh, and it doesn't mean necessarily mean you lost. You know, Jimmy Johnson got fired winning two Super Bowls. So, I mean, <laughs> or after winning the Super Bowl. So, I mean, it's... Uh, it's not something that is, is says that you did a bad job. It's, if they only fired uh, uh, bad coaches, I'd really feel bad. But they fire good coaches too. <laughs> Just a reminder for our listeners: Bill Belichick has been fired before. So. That's correct. <laughs> but uh, coach, I, I'm I'm kind of curious. In your book, you talk a lot about uh, you know going and watching film on Earl Campbell at Notre Dame. You know, coaching guys like Dan Pastorini, uh, having them on the roster, and then in your section where you talk about the Texans. Uh, your your time with Gary Kubiak, Rick Smith, and Mr. McNair, uh, you talk about the 2011 draft and specifically J.J. Watt and kind of making that shift, putting Mario Williams from the defensive line to outside linebacker and, and knowing that Watt could play that offensive line. He had, what, five sacks his rookie season, but after the 2011 season, you, you mentioned to the media that he was a bust. And, uh, you know, kind of providing, I guess, fodder and, 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 and just a soundbite for the media. But he's turned out to be one hell of a defensive player. Where does he rank among the all-time defensive players that you've coached? I said he was going to be a bust, but it was going to be in the Hall of Fame. Right. <laughs> so it's a little bit different than a bust. So, <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, I knew he, I knew he was going to be really great. I mean, he played he, – he had five sacks, but at the end of the year, he was the, I thought he was the best defensive player in the league. And it turned out he kept kept being that. Where does he rank among the all-time defensive players that you've coached? Uh, well, obviously really up there. I mean, you know, I've been lucky to be with a lot of really great players. You know, I was with Reggie White, uh, Bruce Smith, uh, the two top uh, sack guys in the history of football. And Marcus Ware and Von Miller lately. Uh, Curly Culp and Elvin Pathay, who, who I first coached with the Oilers, are both in the Hall of Fame, defensive linemen. Uh, Ricky Jackson, I coached uh, the Hall of Fame from the Saints. So, uh, been around a lot of great players and uh, been lucky to be around a lot of great players. Speaking of great players, uh, you mentioned Terrell Owens at one point in the book, and you kind of talk about your time in Dallas, obviously working for Jerry Jones. And I think that the, the impression I got as you talk about those two guys specifically is that there was a side to them that, that people don't know um, that, that isn't necessarily public-facing. I think you sort of humanized Jerry Jones in a way for me and, and, and Terrell Owens to an extent as well. well. Are those kind of misunderstood figures, and is there is there a lot of that if you're intimately involved with the league and the goings-on and so forth? Is it is it Do people really kind of get misrepresented sometimes and get reputations that are undeserved? Yeah, well, I, I, you know, I don't know about that. I just want, with T.O., you know, I just wanted to say that there was another side to him, you know, that, uh, you know, people 
people uh, and media and so forth portrayed him one way, and some some of that was probably true. But uh, but you know, I got fired, and the guy he wasn't even with the team you know, with our team, and and he texted me and said, "Hey, you're you're, you're still a good coach, and I appreciate what you did for me." Now, uh, you know, the people didn't see that side of him for sure, and and I appreciated that from him. And the other thing about him, he was a hard worker. You know, I, I always, I always feel like a guy's got a redeeming value if he works hard at what he does. T.O. worked extra hard, so you know, I had some good things about him too. And I wanted to bring that across because, yeah, the, you know, I, the people vote him out of the Hall of Fame basically because of things off the field. You know, so uh, I just wanted to kind of humanize him a little bit at least. Yeah, I'm of the mindset that it shouldn't be what you do off the field that gets you into the Hall of Fame. It should be strictly between, uh, you know, the sidelines, what you do. Uh, and, and to me, in my book, I, I don't have a Hall of Fame vote, obviously, but I think he's got Hall of Fame credentials, as you said in the book. Oh, uh, he certainly does, yeah. Absolutely. But, uh, Coach, uh, the Rams, you're, you're currently with the L.A. Rams, and they're entering their uh, second season in Los Angeles after a, uh, a difficult 2016 season. Uh, and this year, things are a little bit different. You've got Sean McVay taking over as head coach, and I'm kind of curious – you got your start coaching at such a young age. And what have you seen from McVeigh in terms of process preparation and his overall coordinate, you know, coordination of the roster during this off season? Yeah, he's, he's, he's a real dynamo. I mean, he's, uh, he, he's been really impressive. I, I was impressed with him because I went with him uh, because I thought he was going to do a good job, be a good young coach, but he's really young. Doesn't have anything to do with it. He's, He's a, I think he's a really good coach, and uh, he's been able to convey w- what his ideas are and to the team. Uh, I've been impressed with that, uh, how he's laid it out, you know, trying to change the culture there. Obviously, they, they haven't won in a while, and uh, he's not only trying to change it, he's given them ways to change it, and I think that's, that's, that's been really impressive from my standpoint. Yeah, I'm looking forward to see, uh, you know, how the Rams are able to kind of respond and rebuild this year. And I, I think the thing that I'm looking at is the defense, because it seems like every place that you take over as defensive coordinator, you know, they shoot up from bottom of the league toward top of the pack. And uh, you've got, you know, some pretty good talent on that defense with, of course, Aaron Donald, who uh, is just a, a fantastic defensive lineman. But you drafted four defensive players this past April in the NFL draft. Do you feel that you answered those needs on defense, and what does the process look like for implementing your new system ahead of the season? Well, um, you know, we added Connor Barwin and and, uh, and Kayvon Webster. Uh, I've coached both of them before, and uh, I think I think that solidified that that we're going to have a pretty strong defense. They have some good players, like you mentioned, Aaron Donald, who's a great great player. Uh, you know, he's a, a Pro Bowl player, and and you know, maybe that you know JJ was hurt, so I mean he he was probably the premier defensive lineman in the league last year. So I'm excited to work with him. Robert Quinn is also a fantastic uh, athlete, and you know he's he's been really productive as a pass rusher. So I, uh, and we got some other defensive linemen, and then Alex Ogletree, linebacker, is uh, he's fantastic. I mean he makes plays all over the field. I'm really impressed with him. So we've got we've got a front seven. It looks pretty strong already. And, uh, you know, our teaching progression, uh, we always you know, try to get it done quickly so, so they know what to do. And then 
that's a simple game. You, you need to know what to do, how to do it, and then do it at 100% effort. So that's what we try to do. So, you know, you, I think in some ways, obviously you've had an impact on the league for, for many, many years now. I think, uh, you know, uh, you've had a, a positive impact where you've been. I would argue you've been successful as both a coordinator defensively and as a head coach. Um, what is kind of the difference? Like when you take that step up from being a coordinator to being a head coach, what is the difference in responsibilities? What do you need to be able to do differently or do well? And what makes a successful head coach in the NFL? Uh, well, I think, you know, Part of mine, and part of my downfall as a head coach probably is that uh, uh, I think you need to micromanage a little bit more than I than I did. Uh, uh, you know, I've always kind of coached one side of the ball, and uh, uh, but uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's just coaching the whole team rather than you know just a defense or offense or special teams. And, uh, it's a it's a big job. It's a it's a really big job. It's a, it's one that uh, is a lot of pressure on, to win because you know it goes on your record as a defensive coordinator or whatever. They don't they don't talk about you know they don't talk about your record, uh, but they do as as a head coach. So uh, and like I said, I mean you know if you don't live up to expectations and sometimes very quickly that then uh, then you're not a head coach anymore. Coach, toward the end of your book, you mentioned how uh, the game has shifted for defenses. You you talk early on, uh, you know, I, I believe it was uh, Deacon Jones with a head slap and how he would slap offensive linemen, uh, you know, in, in the head. And, and now it, it seems like the rules are kind of favored for the offense. And you said that it kind of, you know, takes away the, the spirit of the defensive game. Uh, what do you think the future holds for the game of football moving forward with all of these changes that we've seen in in the past few years? Well, it keeps moving forward, that's for sure. It's uh, the popularity, uh, you know, uh, of football. Football in Texas and football in general overall uh, is still, you know, very high. And, uh, NFL, of course, uh, kind of dominates the sports uh, sports scene overall. Even the draft is now a big deal. So, um, I I think you know the concussion thing certainly is a is a concern uh, for football uh, safety uh, because the players have always been big and strong, but they're bigger and stronger and faster these days. And there's more, you know, it's a collision sport. So uh, we have to be. You know, I think we have to be careful with with all that and make sure we're teaching the right ways to tackle and and so forth uh, to, to at least help those guys be safe, even though they're playing a violent game. Yeah, certainly. That's an issue we've we've covered and touched on here as well. It's 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 difficult to figure out how to uh, incorporate that into being a fan or, or watching sometimes as well. It is a, a violent sport, but uh, but in terms of the, of the book, uh, you it's 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 you know obviously about coaching. Your father's a, a legendary coach. You're a very successful coach. Your son, uh, who we're all pulling uh, to become a third generation NFL head coach uh, at some point, he he's obviously in that uh, in that tree as well. What you say that your father gave you some advice, right? Like if you can do anything else, do something else. Only do this if you have to do this. And I've, I, I cover prep sports. I spend a lot of time around these Texas uh, high school football coaches. And, and it does kind of seem to be, yeah, like they really couldn't be doing anything else. They're just magnetically drawn to this profession, this career. What is it about it? What is it about the people that just find that that's the only thing that they uh, can, can do, that the only thing they're passionate about? Yeah, it's uh, – uh... You know, I, I think it's it is rewarding. You know, uh, in high school, it's rewarding too because you 
you're kind of molding. You know, a lot of a lot of football players that didn't go on from high school on just learned a lot and thought so much of some of their teachers in school, but a lot of them, their their football coach or their coach. Uh, you know, it's kind of an, an honor to, to uh, and I'm proud of being a coach because of, you know, you, you do influence people in the right direction, you know, because hard work, and, uh, you know, they learn to work hard and good things happen for them. So uh, uh, it's, it just has a draw that, that uh, and a feeling that, that winning feeling is, uh, uh, in anything you do, I think is important, but in, in football, it, it's, uh, it, it kind of generates a, a higher level of, of excitement and enjoyment. I will say that in reading the book, which again I enjoyed tremendously, I learned a lot of things I didn't know before. Uh, one of the more amusing ones is that uh, I guess in dealing with with players and, and youth and so forth, you have uh, kind of adopted some some uh, some musical uh, influences, tastes I wouldn't have guessed. Kind of a fan <laughs> of rap. I'm just curious, uh, what's your favorite rap tune? You know, what do you what do you what are you bumping when you're playing rap music? Uh, well, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, I, you know, I started at the bottom, but I'm here right now. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know, I, I enjoy, I enjoy all kinds of music. And, uh, of course, I hear more rap, you know, nowadays and uh, around the locker room and those kind of things. And some of them I like, some of them I don't, but uh, it's the same with pretty much all kinds of music. Uh, uh, you know, my wife, my wife and I like, something that can't stay, but that's, uh, that makes it fun. Well, I don't, I could talk to you all day, honestly, about, about football, about coaching, about life. You know, I think your, your, your perspective and a lot of that came from what your father taught you is just, I mean, fascinating and, and impactful too. But uh, again, we're talking with uh, Wade Phillips. The, the book is Son of Bum. You guys, if you're listening, should go out and buy, I don't know, six or eight copies immediately. It's, it's a terrific, terrific book. We certainly recommend it. And we also recommend uh, that uh, folks follow you. Uh, you know, you have a social media platform there. Uh, you're on Twitter. How, how can people find you and engage with you on social media, Coach? Well, that's Son of Bum. You know, that's, <laughs> that's it. You know, that's... Uh... Uh, I'm on Twitter, so uh, they can look me up anytime. Look up Wade Phillips or or at Son of Bump. And, and also the title of the book. And if you uh, if you have rap recommendations, Coach Phillips is looking for those. That's so right. Those at him. There you go. Well, Coach, it's been an absolute pleasure. I hope the book sells 100 million copies. I think it's fantastic, and I recommend everyone read it. We uh, appreciate you taking the time out so much, man. We wish you all the success in the world out in L.A. Oh, thank you, guys. I, I appreciate it. And, uh, and I enjoy it. Thank you very much. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. Now, we just had a great interview with Wade Phillips, defensive coordinator for the Los Angeles Rams. And uh, earlier in the podcast, uh, Kevin and I both mentioned uh, how we're going to have another in-studio guest. And that's Luke Bronner uh, joining us from the H Podcast. And uh, Luke, first off, thanks for joining us in studio this week. And uh, you've got a podcast that both Kevin and I absolutely love. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. And thanks for the encouraging, constant encouragement from you guys. Well, we love it. I mean, it, I'm very vocal about my opinions when they're negative. Uh, I think I'm on record as saying uh, some pretty bad things about Rick Smith. You know, I, I think probably <laughs> things that he would either fight me or cry uh, if I were to say to him in person. Those are really the only two responses. So I'm not nice as a rule. I'm nice when I enjoy something. And your, your show is really good quality. Yeah. And it's what we love because obviously the voice of Houston, we're very tied into Houston. Uh, it's a fascinating look at the other parts of the city and you get pretty granular with it. And it's, it's really interesting. There. Well, I, you've spoken a little bit about it in the introduction to your show and so forth, which everyone should listen to. But, but kind of re-encapsulate here, what, what possessed you or what made you feel like you had to 
do this podcast that's about the city of Houston. Yeah, you know, it's I really it's one of those things that I moved to Houston in 2009, kind of against my will. I was coming for a job. <laughs> it's true of a lot of people. Though. I mean, yeah, I'm from the Dallas Fort Worth area, Ugh. specifically Fort Worth. Ugh. So I also Fort Worth better. Than I also hate Dallas. So, um, <laughs> but I, I came from that area, and when uh, my job kind of moved me down here everyone told me how much I was going to hate Houston. And I believed him. I mean, yep. I, I, you know, the traffic, the humidity, all of the, all of the things that yep. people say. And so uh, the plan was to live here for two years and then to, to get out of town. And I got here, and literally within three weeks, I was like, man, this place is great. Why does Houston have <laughs> such a bad reputation? I just don't know. Why does it, do you think? I, you know, I, I think it's the humidity and the traffic. My theory is that when you're here for the, for the changing of the seasons, the humidity doesn't get to you as much. It's, it's when you drive into town to mm. visit Houston and it's miserable, you're just not ready for it. And you so, think it's just weather. It's not, it's not cultural. It's not anything else. It's just, it's just the geographical. I mean, the city is also pretty spread out. I mean, you've got mm. 8 million people. You've yeah. got three downtowns. Way too big. That's, yeah. a, that's the other thing people always said. But, but you know, I got here and, um, I mean, didn't, you know, the traffic wasn't any big deal. I moved in <laughs> September and, and it was like, beautiful weather it was just there was no reason to hate the place and so the longer i've been here the more i've come to really love and appreciate this city and and i've been podcasting doing a few different shows over the last few years and have just dreamed the whole time about i mean i want to tell people how great this city is and how great the people in Mm -hmm. this city are and so um so that's where the h came from What's the response been like so far? Because I love it. I can't imagine that anybody that has sort of my attitude being born here, having an appreciation for the city and sort of like, you know, I, no matter where I go in my life, I'm always going to be from Houston. That's something that I'm maybe not proud of necessarily, but it's it's a key part of my identity. And so I, I gravitate to these things and I love it. Hey, have you seen that happen? I mean, is the is the engagement response to these really fascinating stories kind of what you were anticipating it would be? Yeah, for for you know, it's scaled. I mean, I don't have the audience you guys have, well, certainly, but I mean, who does? We're, tr- Houston, we're trying to fix that. Yeah. <laughs> And but the response has been great. I mean, people seem to really be into it. They love. I think there's not a lot of shows, at least in this area, that that are narrative in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's been a thing that's kind of helped me to stand apart a little bit. And and you know, this is a new style of show for me. All of the other shows that I've hosted are real similar to what you guys do. It's conversations in a room with with guys. It's you know pretty raw. Um, this is a very produced show, oh, so yeah. that's that's kind of new for me. There's music, there's a score, there's you know, there's sponsors, there's all kinds of stuff. And so. that's too, it's credit too. I think that the the way that you tell those stories and the way that you interweave narratives with with uh, you know sometimes two or three different people involved in a story, uh, it, it's it's complex and it's layered. But but you kind of need that, and it really does. It doesn't feel overproduced. It feels tight, and it feels um, like you kind of know where you're going. Which I, I think I'm looking awesome. Yeah, you know, we don't I, always know where we're going. Yeah, yeah we don't we don't always know where we're going on the show. I mean, we typically have have like a, a show rundown that we share on Google Drive. Each Many week. times like, I even look at it before we right, record. But, you know, we kind of stray off subject frequently. Yeah. And I remember the first time I heard your episode, uh, first episode, uh, I think I found it on Instagram, actually, which <laughs> it's crazy how social media brings everyone together. But uh, Or tears us apart. Or tears us apart. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but I, I found it on social media, started listening. I think I started listening around like, I don't know, 1130 at night, 1145, sometime late at night. And uh, I was like, this is really good. And I, you know, started looking... I was like, is this something produced by, you know, Houston Public Media, like NPR? Mm-hmm. And I had the th- same that thought. was my very first thought. And then I, you know, clicked on the bio, started reading. I'm like, Luke Bronner. I was like, why does that name sound familiar? Then I looked it up. I'm like, hey, I actually know who that is. Yeah. And then we connected via social media, had breakfast. And it's just phenomenal to see, like, the stories that you get into, uh, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, a bakery, whether it's uh, a local, you know, brew pub or brew house. And then also, you know, kind of hitting those 
the issues that are actually relevant and important that people should be aware of. I mean, you had uh, this show this past week, uh, episode five with Erica Ragger talking about sex trafficking in, in the city of Houston, which I don't know, maybe I live in a, in a bubble or a shelter, but you I didn't realize that it was as prominent of an issue as it is. Yeah, it's it's bad. And it, that's one of those things I've heard forever. I mean, as long as I've been in Houston, people have told me like, oh, this is a hub for human trafficking. Mm-hmm. But until you really, I mean, you just don't know what that means until you have someone really tell you. And so and you had a line from, from one of the uh, people you're interviewing that like if any apartment complex in the city, almost guaranteed one of those, at least one of those units is going to be rented out for the use of human trafficking, yeah. or prostitution, or brothels, or, apartment yes, brothels. Yes, exactly right. And that, that's, that's a mind boggling. It doesn't seem like that even could be true. But I mean, obviously it's sourced. It is true. And it's, it's, it is an enormous problem. I'm curious about, it's a departure for you. The earlier episodes you did were a little more, um, there were human interests, certainly kind of dealing with, uh, you know, a single person or single interest or group. And they were lighthearted, I think, um, for the most part with, with some, you know, tales of human courage and adversity and things like that. But kind of, this seems like a weighty issue to take on there. Was it, was it daunting? Was it something that you sort of wrestled with? Because I don't know that I had the confidence in my abilities to tackle an issue like that and do it justice. Yeah. I don't know that it was too terribly daunting. I mean, it, it it's pretty dark. Uh, there's, you know, kind of wandered into the darkness a bit. Um, actually part of my background is I've done social media. I've been a content writer for lots of different organizations. And, I have and, been a content strategy. Give me a fist bump. Yeah. Content guys. Uh, I hate it and I don't miss it, but um, <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> But one of the one of my clients over the years was a was a pretty large anti trafficking organization, and so it's it's territory that I've I'm familiar with. Yeah. I also am, am a regular at the Second Cup, the the place that we featured. And ah, I thought you were going to say regular patron of escorts. I'm glad that you went the other yeah, direction. No, 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 coffee. <laughs> you really wandered into the darkness, man. Yeah. So uh, so it didn't feel too terribly daunting, other than you know I was a little anxious about if people would take the journey with me, right. you know, because it is, it was kind of a departure of really getting into, like I said, the darkness a little bit. So and it seemed like the second cup folks were, were really uh, willing to take that journey with you and very uh, engaged in it. And I think you have uh, a talent, at least, at least through, you know, five episodes, it seems like, uh, you know, people really do open up to you and, and I'm, I'm sort of envious of that. We've had some guests that haven't necessarily done it to us, but but it is a singular and unique show, and I certainly love it. What what sort of things are you looking? Do you want to reveal what kind of things are yeah, coming yeah, up? Yeah, yeah, I can future? tell you a few things that are coming up. Uh, you know, we've got an episode coming up this week uh, featuring these three brothers in town that have started an urban farm. They've got the only really? urban farm in Houston, it's, and it's I mean it's beautiful. Like you go out to their, they've got like an acre and a half or something, and you look and there's just this incredible green growth. It's all organic. They don't use any sort of chemicals on anything. Hmm. And then surrounding that is just industry. Yeah. Uh, it's this it's this really beautiful contrast. And they're doing amazing things in the east side of of Houston. And uh, so we're going to tell their story. We've got. Um, I've been talking to, there's actually a local rapper that we're going to hopefully feature, which I'm going to, I'm going to plug him, Kevin Durham. Yeah. Uh, go check his music out. It is really great. He released a record, I think this year called apples and his manager sent it to me right when the show launched. And I was like, okay, what is this going to be? <laughs> and, I, and I listen to it all the time. I mean, it is really, really, really great. Yeah. We've connected huh. on social media and so going to have him at some point. We've got, we've got a few other uh, musicians and stuff that are going to be on there. Something you guys will like. We're actually debuting a new segment this week called Houston Homers, oh, which yeah. is going to be a segment that tells the stories, uh, not of Houston sports teams necessarily, but of, Houston sports super fans. That's so, cool. Yeah, kind of hearing you know what it is that made you fall in love with the Rockets or the Astros or whoever. Real you know. losers who had nothing better to do than just obsessively <laughs> follow sports, right? Yeah, yeah. Who, who and we, gonna be? we certainly want to have you on. Sometime. Yeah, I'm going to be on <laughs> it. That's right. I'm going to be the second guest. Yeah, yeah. So we're uh, 
yeah, we're working on that right now, and, and we've got, we're halfway through the season. This is episode six. We're doing 12 episodes per season, and uh, the plan right now is to do at least five seasons. So we, we got a lot. We got a lot of stories to tell. So how do you go about finding these stories? Because I know sometimes Kevin and I are sitting there via text like throughout the week, like, okay, we want to talk Texans draft. Like, who do we have? And we start going through a rundown of like potential uh, media outlets or interview ideas. But for your show, that's more preparation. I mean, it's not something that you can just put together in an afternoon like we do on a weekly basis. It's something that you have to sit down, script, plan, you know, get the content together, whether it's interviews, chop it up, uh, take photos, that sort of thing to help promote the episode what is your process like in terms of identifying people that you find interesting and also storylines that you think that your listenership would also find interesting yeah I, I've come to believe that that everyone has a story to tell not everyone knows how to tell their story but everyone has something interesting uh, about them and so I mean we're in a city of seven million people there's at least seven million stories that I could tell so you we should meet some of my ex-girlfriends man they yeah. might they might dissuade <laughs> you of that theory uh, so a lot of them so far have just been just kind of my own network. I mean, you know, we feature, like you said, uh, Jane Wild, who owns a bakery out in Tomball. Right. That's just a bakery that I spend a lot of time at, and I think she's a fascinating person. We spent a lot of time together already, and so fun to tell her story. It, almost without exception, every story that I've told has been someone that I just had a hunch. I just felt mm-hmm. like, man, they're doing something interesting. I bet they've got a great story. Your hunches are and solid. So, well, <laughs> Your instincts are great. I envy that for sure. Yeah, so uh, it's been it's been a little bit just lucky. I was like, man, that, that wound up being a really great story. In fact, some of the stories that I, I, I wasn't even sure what was going to come of them. I mean, Steve Wallace is a guy we featured a few weeks ago, and I, I, didn't, I don't really know Steve, and so I, was, I wasn't sure what his story was going to be, and it wound up being right. one of my favorite things. I, mean, really? I just loved talking to him, so... Yeah, been a lot of fun so I'm far. I'm curious about the new because you mentioned you have mentioned to me before. Personally, you're not a huge sports guy. We were just talking uh, a moment ago. Was it the big three in Miami? I think it was just sort of blissfully unaware of. And I think everybody else in the world was tired of that story. That's, that's probably a good thing. Luke. Well, <laughs> no, that's what I'm saying. I'm not criticizing you at all. I'm saying you really dodged a bullet there. But it was obsessively covered, kind of like Deflategate and a lot of other things. But so, well, what was the impetus or the reasoning for put, for incorporating baking sports into your show? Yeah, so because sports is such a huge part of, of the culture, and I, I want to clarify, I, I get this reputation among friends that they all just think, oh, Luke hates sports. I promise I don't hate sports. I, ignorant is what I was, well, was going to say. I'm more a than casual hatred. fan, right, so right. like I, I, I do believe in rooting for your home team, so I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to root for Houston teams. I also have some loyalties to uh, you know, the Mavericks particularly. So, Okay, so um, I have two tickets to uh, you know, Rockets, Mavs, and of course the Mavs aren't in the playoffs, so that's obviously a lie, but <laughs> who are you going for? I mean, it's, that's a perfect scenario for me because I'm happy with whoever wins. Oh, Genuinely. This is why you're a terrible fan, though, because yeah. you should be unhappy no matter what happens if you're rooting for both teams. Uh, Not happy no matter what happens. Yeah, or I'm free or fraud, I'm, Bronner. I'm, I'm going to just cheer for everybody in that situation. <laughs> I'm cheer for, everybody gets a trophy. Yeah. You're what's wrong with the world, Luke. Go he's like, he's like all-time quarterback, you know, just yeah. cheering for the offense <laughs> the entire time. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is I love live sports. So what I what I really care about ultimately in that scenario is to I just want to see a good game. Right. Like, mm-hmm. make it a good game and I'll have fun. I don't it, really care. Do you find that, that narrative matters to you it could be like an overarching narrative of the season or, or individually in a game you know a matchup to players do you look for that because as, as a guy who grew up writing a lot and i came to sports later than i came to writing uh, as a pursuit and a passion and a hobby i find that that is always what i'm doing because I'm, I'm thinking about what the article i'm gonna write is gonna be like i'm also thinking you know what are the stories here because just watching human beings perform rote mechanical tasks isn't interesting enough to really captivate me but sports is sort of to me more than like the uh the sum of its parts i guess in, in that sense yeah i don't know if i look for a narrative so much like uh, I, I mean everybody loves an underdog story i'm, I'm always going to root for an underdog if there's which is why you should cheer for the rockets in the nba playoffs yeah. right now and i am i am <laughs> cheering for the rockets and not only because they're the rockets but also because i genuinely 
can't stand the Spurs. So, <laughs> uh, t- no offense to our, our other friend in the room. Yeah, we have an observer shirt. who's wearing a Spurs shirt somehow. It's like he's trolling us right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm the only one that can see him, though, so I keep looking over there. And, and, yeah, uh, thank God he's out of my sight. All, you know, my, my history with the Spurs is that every time I would, like, get free tickets to a Mavs game or something growing up, it would be against the Spurs, and we'd lose every time. And so I just, mm-hmm. I, just I can't stand the Spurs. They've, they've given me so many bad memories. But... <laughs> Um, yeah, so I don't know if I necessarily look for a narrative so much as I, I mean, I like to just watch people excel at something that they really care about. That's just, that's fun, whether it's sports or otherwise. I mean, I, I genuinely love that. So who's the, who's the Houston athlete that you've been here a little while now? Who, who, who cares the most? Who's that guy? You go, wow, he really plays the way I want somebody to play. And I can, I can love that and identify with it. I mean, I, I wouldn't even know how to answer that question. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. You've got a kind of a beard going. So I think that kind of narrows I mean, it down I, to Dallas Keuchel and then James Harden. Well, the right? same question to you, Austin. I think it's a good, I agree. That's what I love to watch, right? You love to watch guys hustle. Who's the hustle guy in Houston? It's Pat Beverly, right? I think, I think some guys from the Texans too. I think, I think if you're talking basketball, it's got to be Pat Beverly. I mean, just what he does on defense, just sacrificing his body. He's a pest. Every single NBA team hates him. Plays hurt. Oklahoma City hates him. Spurs hate him. Dallas hates him. And I think that's a guy that you want to support and rally around if you're a Rockets fan. But if I'm talking about like people that grind, people that hustle, I'm going to have to look at the Astros. I'm going to have to okay. look at you know maybe a George Springer type or a Jose Altuve. Uh, guys that just embody Houston, embody the club and the environment that A.J. Hinch wants to have. Uh, you know, also, what is it? J.J. Redick with the uh, the woo chants that have been going yeah. on uh, this past week at Minute Maid Park. I, I don't know. I think that there's... I don't know. I, I, what I like about the Houston Pro Sports team is that it, it's not like a white ca- like white collar stuffy athletes. I don't know. When I think of like Golden State, I kind of think you know, maybe a little uppity. When I think of like the Yankees, I think uppity. When I think of Red Sox, I think uppity. But when I think of like the Houston sports teams, maybe it's just because we haven't seen a title in the city right, in 25 years. I don't know. I think that these are like gritty, almost like blue collar teams with unique personalities. And I, I think that's kind of fun to watch. And that's what I wanted to ask you about. As, as you, you've been here in Houston, obviously, you're kind of exploring it intimately throughout this uh, mm-hmm. DH podcast, which I think we just call the H, right? Just the H. Just yeah. the H. I'm an idiot. All of our social media is the H I'll podcast, it so it's, there's no wrong way. I'm going to jump off real quick. What do you think? HTX or HOU? I, I, that, to me, that's, that's a, I that's can't a really important question. I can't my legitimate question with that <laughs> horse shit. Um, yeah, you know, I, yeah, answer his first. I Go don't ahead. have a strong opinion. I, I uh, <laughs> great, that was well worth. It's, it. Yeah, I was always an HTX guy, and it wasn't. I wasn't aware of the whole debate until just okay. a few years ago. <laughs> I think the argument that HTX is a ripoff of Austin, and that therefore we should. I think that's stupid. I think that's just that's ridiculous. a fair point. I also don't think that like it, it necessarily has to match your air, airport codes or whatever. <laughs> I think they're both perfectly fine. Everybody wins. H Town's fine. They're all good. Yeah, or, uh, but but you know, Just actually, you watch the the. the that's actually where the name the H came from. It's when I became when I became aware of there there was this debate between really? HTX and HOU, which I know that from the historian. I don't know if y'all follow right. the historian. Yeah. Great follow on Twitter. He's great, man. Uh, actually, on Instagram too. He can, mm. anyway. Um, when I realized that that was a thing, I, I would find myself in Fort Worth for the weekend, and I would be getting ready to go home, and I and my instinct was to say, "I'm heading back to HTX." And then, I, but I would catch myself, and so I would just say, "I'm headed back to the H." Okay, and so that's where the actually the title of the I show like came from. Yeah, yeah, it is great. So you were kind of alluding to it a minute ago. One thing I wonder about is before I was so rudely interrupted with that. <laughs> I mean, just absolutely, we got a good answer. Yeah, I was going to say you did a terrific job with <laughs> really weak material there. That just is more credit to you and the way you do things. But but so do you have you noticed that the city has a character? I asked this of a lot of national guests that come in. Like, do you perceive Houston as being this way? Is is there is there an underlying? Um, philosophy or attitude or something that defines Houston in the way that maybe like, you know, New York City never sleeps. People are jerks because they're always in a hurry. I mean, there's these 
things, California's tans and fake tits and all that. So I mean, what can I say that? I think I could say that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you believe it? I don't know. Whatever. But, but do you notice that in Houston? Is there something that sticks out to you as being like kind of the, the character of the city? Yeah, I have to think about what that is. I mean, I, uh, still to this day, the things that come to mind are, are traffic and humidity. And <laughs> that's Even been. though you love the city, those yeah, are the I do love it. But but I, I feel like it's just one of those cities that like the only people. It's the people who are here that get it. And if you're not here, then you just don't get it. You don't understand. This is actually really, really great. I think that's very profound. City. I'm going I'm to pull that quote, and I'm going to use it when we promote this on Twitter. It's great. You only get it when you're here. So, I, I, you know, you had mentioned that you are from the Fort Worth area. How do you think the two towns kind of compare? Because when I when I go up to the, the Metroplex, I don't really like Dallas. Yeah, I, I think I mean, it's, it's very stuffy. Nor it's, should anyone. Yeah, it, it's not <laughs> a great city. And honestly, <laughs> the city of Houston hates Dallas and vice versa. But Fort Worth, I actually like. And I think there are a lot of similarities. I mean, you've got the Fort Worth, uh, Fort Worth Stockyards. You've got the Houston Livestock Show and Rodeo. Do you think that's kind of why you're drawn to the city? It's just because of the similarities between Houston and Fort Worth? You know, I don't, I don't know that I see a ton of similarities. Um, I see them as, as kind of contrasting each other, but in really, really great ways. The, the only similarity I see, there's a, there's a kind of a new area of the last five, six, seven years in Fort Worth called uh, like Magnolia, the Fairmount area, right, which reminds me a whole lot of the Heights, um, and I love the Heights, and I love Magnolia, and so, so um, those are probably the only real similarities. But I think the beauty in both of them is the way that they are contrasted. Fort Worth doesn't feel like a big city. You can go, you can walk the entire downtown area in thirty minutes. I mean, it just doesn't, doesn't take any time at all. Whereas Houston, you would just never even. Yeah, you can't walk anywhere. Ever. Yeah, yeah. You so, can. but I, but I love that about both of them. I love how big Houston is. I love how kind of sprawling it is. I mean, we've got tons of great breweries. We've got mm. tons of great coffee houses. There's just lots of interesting things happening in Fort Worth. That's also true, but it's just really, really condensed right. and scaled. You know, so it's just it's fun. I love both cities. You, based on your philosophy, as I understand it, you could do the show anywhere you were. Right, any city in the world has yeah, people I think so. and stories to tell. And I don't understand why that doesn't happen. I don't understand why why like these geography specific mm-hmm. podcasts aren't out there because there's going to be an audience for it. I mean, you've got to the the beauty of podcasting is just finding your niche. You've got to have your niche audience and and what better thing than to tell people why they should love their city. Exactly. You know? and, and, and honestly, I think that we share that. I think that's a commonality between us because we were always from the very beginning and by the very beginning, I mean the real very beginning when I came onto the show in episode eight or nine. But we, we always had a focus of like, you know, Houston's going to be kind of our touchstone, what we return to, right? Mm-hmm. We'll discuss anything, but it's always coming from the perspective we're in Houston, we care about Houston, and we want to connect with the people that care about Houston, whether they're in the city or whether they're ac- expats elsewhere. And so I, I think that, that that comes through in your show for sure. And, uh, and I hope it comes through in ours as well. Yeah, absolutely. And again, we have Luke Bronner on, uh, host of the H podcast. And, uh, you know, one of the similarities that I see between your show is a Facebook page that I follow, and that's Humans of New York. And uh, I, I think it started as, you know, just a photographer going around and kind of learning stories from random people on the streets, taking photos. I see where you're going. Humans of Houston. I'm on board. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Collaboration. <laughs> All right, let's do it. <laughs> but, I mean, do you kind of, when you came up with the idea of wanting to, tell those human interest stories were there any specific inspirations or were you just it just came to you i mean w- what was that process like um yeah you know i mean there were other influences i guess there's other just podcasts that i find compelling i mean I, i've spent the last couple of years commuting from tom tom ball to heights every day and so I, I started listening to all these podcasts and really everything that alex bloomberg and gimlet media is putting mm-hmm. out so startup and reply all and all of these shows <laughs> 
and and really that NPR style of show. And, and I'm like everybody else. I mean, cereal blew my mind when it came. Right. Out. And so um, that's the only person of, in the world that hasn't enjoyed cereal. I haven't actually oh listened to gosh. it. Uh, first season. I, I, I give up on. Couldn't really listen. Second season. I'm sure it's great. I just didn't <laughs> didn't really go there. Um, S Town. Have you listened to S Town? Not yet. It's on my list. Okay. You, you got to listen. This that sort of narrative storytelling was so compelling to me, and and so outside of my box. I mean, just something I've never done, didn't know how to do. I actually went through like a course that Alex Bloomberg put out on, on the internet really? and, and it was fascinating um, teaching how to kind of draw that narrative out of people. Wow. And so that's been, um, that was certainly a huge influence. Uh, the other thing I would say inspiration wise, Jane Wilde, episode one, yeah, yeah. Um, just knowing Jane and always being curious about her story made me want to tell her story that she, she kind of inspired the show in a lot of ways. Right. I mean, I had an idea for a Houston podcast, but her, uh, her presence in my life was one that I was like, I really want to, I want to learn her story and I want to share her story. And so, and Does she I, know that she was kind of the, in the no, inspiration, the jumping so. off point. No. Maybe she'll hear this, right? I hope so. Maybe yeah. she will lose 10 and a half thousand people. Or yeah. But uh, it's, yeah. I, you know, you, you mentioned some good podcasts ones. I haven't necessarily made my way to, I, I the dollop, you ever listen to the dollop? Mm-mm. They actually were here in Houston, uh, for a few weeks ago. Yeah. It wasn't even a few. I think it was last week, if I'm not mistaken, uh, took an ex-girlfriend to that show. It was a weird night for me, but, um, <laughs> but it, they're enjoyable. They're great. It's a terrific podcast. I certainly recommend the dollop and love those guys. Even though one of them blocked me on Twitter for some reason. That's you know not not totally surprising. Gareth Reynolds, real quick with the block button. Uh, <laughs> that's my one criticism of him. Otherwise, he's a terrific comedian in person. But uh, but yeah, listen to the dollop. It's hysterical. Uh, and then uh, you guys listen to any Australian podcasts? Uh, you know, I keep having all these Australian podcasts pop up. Everything right. I, I find on iTunes, I'm like, oh, this looks interesting. It ends up being from Australia. Okay, this, this, weird this, this reminds me of a few, probably about 50 episodes back when we had Brooke Evers on the podcast. She's a, Evers. She's a DJ. She's an international model. Uh, Kevin asked the same question. Like, you're from Australia. Do you listen to any Australian podcasts? Because I like, want to know. I want somebody <laughs> to say to me, "Yes, I listen to Tofop and I love it because it's a very popular show, and I haven't encountered anyone in person that listens to it." It's I mean, Will Anderson, Charlie. I mean, we Claus talked about like me derailing his question a little bit earlier. That was kind of like the same thing we were talking about our you know tour in the United States and like yeah. modeling and that sort of thing. And Kevin's like, he said, "Yes, Australian <laughs> podcasts show up for me all the time," and I wanted to point just out me. that there is a very weird connection. There's some sort of exchange that's occurring. Yeah. I don't know why that is exactly. I guess because you know there's a lot of overlap between culture and they're sort of you know six months behind us. They get the Hollywood films, things like that. It's, you know, whatever. It's rural. It's an island. They can't help it. Um, but And they're also terribly governed like we are. So, I mean, a lot of commonalities. I don't know. Happen. Donald Trump likes their health care. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's exactly the problem. So I would say that, I mean, they're actually in a better state than us at the moment. And they've had one of the worst governments consistently for the past 10 years. So it's just, it's a terrible world all around. There's no hope for anyone. But but <laughs> listen to Tofop because it's a hilarious podcast and it's from Australia and that's that's my connection to that. So I'll, I'll I love I love recommending podcasts. One of the things yeah. I love about podcasts is that we're not in competition with each other. Yeah. Is that people can listen to your show and listen to our show, be, um, I don't want to say fans, but listeners of both, followers of both versus like terrestrial radio. It's, it's, it should lead to a lot of collaboration. I feel like that's lacking here relative to like LA. Yeah. New York has a thriving podcast scene. Um, Chicago's a little bit. There, there are these pockets and I feel like Houston ought to be one of them based on the population based on the, the resources here and things like yeah, that and, and man, maybe it's starting to happen you know i think so i mean that that was that was one of my visions when i started the show is like i really want something that i can kind of unite houston podcasters on and and i've in the process of doing this found some several really great shows here in town one is just called the houston podcast we we crossed paths because we bought our domain names literally within three days of each other <laughs> wow. and, uh, last june and matt beasley is the guy's name and uh he actually bought the hpodcast.com and that's how I that's how we kind you of found, out, found out about it. Yeah, so we I wound up buying the houstonpodcast.com and we traded, but he's doing a killer job. Also real kind of journalist um, style storytelling, really really great. 
the Interbrews guys. I don't know if y'all listen to yeah, that show yeah. at all, but you know, just featuring. I mean, they. I feel like they put an episode out every ten minutes. Uh, <laughs> it's like an hour and a half long. It's, it's <laughs> remarkable, but time travel is involved. a lot of fun. Just real casual conversations about Houston beer, which is something I care a great deal about. So then you have some stuff in your show about that as well. We do. Yeah, we have Bruce in Texas mm-hmm. is a segment we do, and it's it's kind of like a like a ten minute version of what they do over the course of an hour and a half. And so, for folks who are home brewers or just really into craft beer check out Interbrews. I mean, there's just a lot of great shows here in town. Yeah, I want to I find more and promote this one. We, we have some of uh, our own buddies, like the Scott and Holman podcast and Shock the World, both cover U of H stuff, so I know we have some U of H listeners in yeah. there. Uh, we don't care for Houston Sports Talk, right? No, we are not fans of Houston Jesus Sports Talk. Jesus Christ, that, that's, the, that's the only show in the city that we will not actively promote. Yeah. The guy is just... Ugh. Yeah, we had to. It was Are you mi- keeping this on the air? Yeah, oh, for wow. absolutely yeah. for sure. We, <laughs> I feel like I have a civic duty to warn people about Robert Land, but, but um, yeah, but most people we've encountered have been great. It, it seems to be people that obsessively want to share their stories or share other stories and things yeah. like that. We all have that kind of thing in common where um, we all want to talk to each other. Yeah. So yeah. it's cool. I mean, I hope it's developing. I'd love to see in a couple of years uh, or maybe less, like a festival. You know, something legitimate oh, that we all get let's together. Do it. And, yeah, yeah, let's, let's do make it. it happen. And it all started here between the Weekly Brew and the H Podcast. But again, we've got Luke Bronner from the H Podcast joining us in studio this week. And uh, Luke, you've got a new episode that drops on Wednesday. Yep. Uh, tell our listeners that might not already be familiar with you where they can find that podcast, what's going to be on it, and also how they can connect with you on social media. Yeah, search for The H on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also listen at theh.us or thehpodcast.com. Those all point to the same place. You're, you're on Twitter as well, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, just everything. The H Podcast, everywhere you look. And just look for the phenomenal H logo. It's probably it's one of the best the podcast best. logos yeah, I've seen. Shout out to Spindletop Design in the Heights. They did phenomenal work. I, I genuinely believe I have the, the best artwork. We have, we have, like, argue that. We have yeah. like logo envy, yeah. honestly. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Luke, it's been great having you in studio. And of course, episode six of the H Podcast drops on Wednesday. And uh, thanks for stopping by. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Closing time. We just had a phenomenal two guests on the Weekly Brew Podcast this week. Thanks to Wade Phillips, the defensive coordinator for the Los Angeles Rams. His new book, Son of Bum, Lessons My Dad Taught Me About Football and Life, is out. You can check that out on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. And also thanks to Luke Bronner for stopping by the uh, the Weekly Brew Studios this week to talk about his podcast, The H Podcast, uh, which has a new episode dropping this Wednesday. Highly recommend that you subscribe and check that out. But uh, uh, Kevin... phenomenal episode for us no i mean they're all phenomenal episodes it's just what we do of course but but yeah it doesn't hurt to point it out and both great guests uh wade phillips you know a nationally relevant guy uh, and then luke obviously a locally relevant guy i think both have uh, interesting perspectives and great things to say i would recommend you go read that book and i would recommend you pay for it too because it's worth it uh we we totally support that wholeheartedly and then also go uh download the h subscribe to it absolutely you can find that on itunes stitcher google play or wherever whatever podcast medium where do you want them where do, where do you want them subscribing ideally Luke, jump on the mic here for a moment. Uh, iTunes, probably. Yeah, iTunes is probably yeah. the best. We always encourage it. To, we, we provide SoundCloud as an option in case people don't like iTunes. Some people don't. Android, it's hard to work, whatever. But but that's where we would prefer people go. We prefer that they leave a review. Yeah. Absolutely. People and just don't understand how helpful that is. You say that, and I'm a little bitter at you because in five episodes, you have 20 effing reviews. <laughs> that's <laughs> an incredible rate oh, uh, relative to what we did, certainly, for our first. I don't think we had 20 reviews until our 80th episode. No, it was, it was definitely sooner than that. It was but, definitely sooner than that. But... but <clears throat> But speaking of reviews, we actually have uh, a new review this week. Can you believe it? I, I'm shocked. It's been like, what, a month you, since we've had a review? Have you, have you heard us do this before on the show? Read the Yeah, reviews. you read my review. Yeah, that's right. I did <laughs> yeah. Of course I did. Uh, I forgot it was that recent. Well, yeah, you wouldn't have left it without listening because uh, you're moral upstanding and so forth, so I should have known. But 
<laughs> yes, we did have a review. Uh, yours was the penultimate one, uh, the most recent one from Sam, 1984. I don't have a clue who that is, but without knowing, I love this person. He's either a big fan or of she. 1984. Oh, it could be a, it could be a she. Could be a, a woman born in 1984, and I like older women. So that's right I mean, in my wheelhouse. It's not significantly older. Exactly. That's that's precisely how I like it too. <laughs> so uh, the title of it is I enjoy listening to it. Uh, five stars. It's a good show. Very interesting and detailed. Great guests. Now, listening to me say that, you might say, I, I don't know. I've heard you read reviews before, Kevin. That's um. It, did they bring it? doesn't matter. It's a five-star review of the blurb. I love it. You're the listener it, of the week. And it really hits all the points. It, I it, mean, it shows that we have good guests, and exactly. we brought it with good guests this week. Of course, we've got Luke still here in studio. We've got Wade He Phillips. won't leave. He, yeah, we can't, we can't get rid of Luke, <laughs> but, but we love him. So, <laughs> But yeah, that's the, that's the exact kind of review that we want on the podcast. We want, to tell, we want you to t- like tell us what you like about the show. And uh, Sam, 1984, if you're single, hit Flawless. up Kevin. Yeah. Hit up Kevin. That's right. Uh, and, you know, I don't like being single. I'm not particularly picky you know take your shoot, shoot your shot is that what they say shoot your shot kevin has standards low standards but he has them yes, so they're very uh, yeah so you know check kevin out on his uh dating profile social media profile whatever it is at i am I'm legitimately on, on okcupid and it is a nightmare it stresses <laughs> me out just to even see notifications go up on the thing i'm i hate it so much but you know when i'm very very locally that's what i go to to click and have some sort of human connection so it's I, bad around here man so i i feel like in the last few weeks we've talked about your dating profile also we've talked about I'm hunter gonna, i'm gonna give my little we, we've talked about hunter as well who you know mentioned that he has like a, i guess a picture on his tinder of him playing basketball with steph curry uh he's but, got a lot of pictures on his tinder yeah but uh, of course hunter is not with us this week uh, he is actually uh working on the sunday afternoon but he's got a very good story coming out on monday that uh, uh, on the houston chronicle yeah so by the time most of you guys hear this uh it will be out i would imagine um monday carlos correa's little brother did you know carlos correa had a little brother i did he is a uh, a very good baseball prospect i believe he's at a uh, a junior college within the state i'm, I'm alvin community college yeah. you're absolutely yeah. right yeah and he's a power hitting second baseman and uh you know hunter says it's kind of a great random little story i love these things where you kind of delve into uh you know the siblings of athletes that are also athletes and that familial connection and so forth and hunter uh, one of the best guys writing about sports in this city. So uh, Ed no, Hunter Atkins. I, I, I think it's a little more than just a city. I mean, yeah. Hunter, Hunter is a very, very talented writer. Uh, yeah, he's, he's in that top echelon for sure. He would deny that, I think, and he would give you all sorts of reasons why uh, his his interviews, or the interviewees are the real strength of the story and so forth, and it's all crap. Uh, he's a terrific writer. And The we, only like negative thing that I have to say about Hunter is his Twitter feed is kind of lacking. Like, wow. Okay, I was about to plug but, his Twitter handle, so he really threw him under the bus. No, he'll mention that. I mean, last week on the show with Jake Kaplan, and Jake criticized him that for the same thing, and Hunter said that he wanted to be someone that tweets about food, corgis, and, of course, sports. Yeah, yeah. So, he's, he's got some odd tastes for sure. Eclectic that, taste. He's quirky, and we love him for it. You should still go follow him, though, because here I've mentioned this before on the show. Now that we've uh, quintupled in size in terms of our audience, it's good to, to give this lesson. Don't follow someone just because you think they might have interesting content you want to see. You follow them as kind of like a vote for them and vote a support of them. So like you may not like the stuff that I tweet at K Michael Cook, but if you listen to the show, you should still go follow me because I look like kind of an asshole with only 950 followers. You know, we have 10,000 people on the show. So, you know, I'm just saying I'm not criticizing anyone specifically. I may have to do that if it doesn't get any better. But but, you know. Fix this before we have to get really serious about it. Also, Kevin wants that blue check. So the more people that uh, go and follow Kevin on Twitter, the more you know likelihood that he has and to get that what? blue check. Tweet at Twitter and say, hey, why doesn't this guy at K. Michael Cook have a blue check? That's weird. 
Yeah, I, I agree. It's weird. But uh, Kevin has a, a great story out right now on Cron.com that's talking about the uh, the Tebow bill, which we, of course, alluded to at the beginning of the show. But uh, It's and, hot. I mean, yeah. keep an eye on it. Absolutely. Thursday, more is going to come. Yeah, and if you want to follow our social media platforms as well, you can search Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Of course, we're more active on some social media networks than others, but uh, we're trying to improve. Yeah. It's just how it works. But uh, we had a phenomenal episode this week. And again, thanks to Coach Wade Phillips for joining us. Check out his book, Son of Bum, out now on Amazon. And also thanks to... Luke Bronner for stopping by the studio. And if you don't subscribe to the H podcast on iTunes, you should definitely do so. And next week, I think I go ahead and preview this. We got Michael Rathburn from RotoWire coming on. He's like a, a fantasy sports writer of the year, two time, I think. He's a very a talented, interesting guy, and he's got some takes on the Astros. He says the Astros are going to win it all. And so we're going to ask him. Sports predicted it two years ago. Well, I, I, I think, I think he's got the numbers to back it up. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, Jeff Lunhow is a metrics guy. Uh, Daryl Morey is a metrics guy. Uh, Rick Smith has some sort of metric on. We need Lunhow. We've had Morey. We need Lunhow. We Luna. should, yeah. I, I don't want Rick Smith. I don't know either. <laughs> you know what? I, I don't know. Maybe maybe it'd be good to have a frank discussion with him because I have so much, um, not personal animus, but but uh, you know contempt, I think, is probably the right I word. I would be it. afraid of him. Really? I mean, think about it. He's got He's some sort toast. of leverage on Bob McNair. Yeah, but uh, whatever he has, whatever secret, whatever skeletons in McNair's closets, I don't have those same skeletons, and Rick Smith doesn't know me at all. I think I wouldn't have anything to fear from him. Oh, I, I would not want to get on his bad side. That wouldn't matter to me at all. I, you know I'd be I'd be flattered, honestly, to be on any side of him, frankly, to have him even think of me. So so Rick Smith, if you're listening, man, we will absolutely have you on the show and we'll have a, a frank exchange of ideas about the way you're performing your job. And uh, it's not well. And uh, we tried to bring that up with Wade Phillips, but he was very uh, political. Very diplomatic. <laughs> very diplomatic. <laughs> he responses. said in the book, though, and we pointed this out, I think, a little bit, but he couldn't tell from his position as the defensive coordinator who was responsible for making personnel, roster, and draft decisions. He said he just kind of lumped them all together, McNair, Smith, and Kubiak, and said, you know, they all kind of shared responsibility nobody really has a clue what the hierarchy or the org chart says around here and i think that was part of the problem yeah i think that's very telling as to why the texans have not made it past the divisional round in their entire franchise history but uh who knows maybe with sean watson at the helm uh, at the quarterback position maybe the texans can uh, yeah can start going in that right direction but again thanks to wade and uh luke for joining us on this week's show and of course we want to make sure that you follow our social media handles just search weekly broadcast on the platforms search at k michael cook give him a follow myself at a statin also uh hunter atkins at hunter atkins 35 but uh, it's been a great episode of the weekly Brew podcast and on behalf of my co-host kevin cook my name is austin staten we'll see you next week and guys remember no matter who you are where you go or what you do this week always always brew responsibly you've been listening to the weekly brew 